This morning, then, let us return to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we'll choose our text there, verse 12. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, for our text. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And particularly these words, but our eyes are upon thee. The title is quite simply come from the text, Looking Unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. In order that we put this text in context, just one or two introductory remarks, in order that we might get the historical context, it can be quite difficult to go into the Old Testament and just pluck a text out. It's far better if we're able to set it in context. And then we will see how this word will apply to ourselves today after it was given thousands of years before. King Jehoshaphat was a good, godly king of Judah. The nation of Israel was split. There were two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and there was ten other tribes. And The ten tribes were called Israel, while the two tribes were called Judah. And Jehoshaphat was a king over the two tribes of Judah. He was a man who was devoted to serve the Lord and a man of prayer. Generally speaking, he was an excellent godly king. The previous chapters tell us about how the Lord was with him. And the Lord blessed him and established his kingdom. And the people prospered as a result of his godly reign and rule. The people were very supportive of him, as you might expect. Because things were good under his kingship. And he was very concerned about the worship of God. And he was very concerned that things would be observed as they should be. And he was one who was taken up with the worship of God. And he was one who was very supportive of the temple. And he sent Levites and priests in the cities of Judah to inform and to teach the people the law of God. He wanted the people to be conversant with the law of God. He did not want them to be in ignorance. He was one who fortified the cities in Judah. And he made castles. He made defenses. He would rely upon the Lord, but he would also use means. He was not someone who just said, well, the Lord will look after us and we've nothing to do. No, he was that kind of individual who did believe in the Lord, but the Lord will use means. And therefore, he fortified the cities in Judah so that if people would come and attack them, that they would be ready to defend themselves. As a result, other kingdoms feared and made no war with Judah for some considerable time. In chapter 18, he did enter into a foolish alliance with the king of Israel. 
Ahab. And Ahab was a wicked king. And in that alliance, Jehoshaphat's life was under threat. And in the battle, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him. And in that battle, King Ahab died. Well, that's a brief outline of the life of Jehoshaphat. And now we come to our text in in chapter 20, verse 12. What's happening here? Well, there are three brief headings that I wish to highlight with you and meditate upon this morning. The first was a predicament. We have it here in verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazarzon Tamer, which is in Jedi. He gets bad news. There's a great army coming against the people of Judah. He knows. That he doesn't have the resources to fight against this great army. At least three nations gather together. And he recognizes in of himself he has no hope. What's he going to do? Well our text tells us but our eyes are upon thee. How is it with yourself today whether you be a an unbeliever or a believer? What are you looking at? How are you going to get through this life? You'll face many difficulties, many trials. Here there was a great army coming against poor Judah. They couldn't stand up to this army ordinarily. They had no hope. It's exactly the same for us today, friends. Life is full of difficulties, trials, tribulations, disappointments, heartaches, bitterness, things that will overwhelm us. What are you looking at? I don't know if you noticed or not, but that previous psalm that we sung, Psalm 119, verse 37, Turn thou away my sight and eyes, from viewing vanity. Jehoshaphat was facing a real predicament. What did he do? Did he rely upon himself? Did he rely upon all the things that he had done? No. He was going to look to the Lord. Our eyes are upon the Lord. And friends, this is the way it must be. We must look unto the Lord continually. Have you got something on this week? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe you've got a, an important appointment. Maybe you've got something that's taxing you. Maybe there's a situation you have to face that you would rather you did not face. Maybe you're going to encounter someone. Whatever. You have to face this. It's before you. Maybe it's not tomorrow. Maybe it's sometime this week. 
Maybe it might be in a week or two. But you know there's something in the back of your mind. You've got to face this obstacle. Whatever it is. What are you going to do? Well he had a real predicament. Well. There's two things we want to note about this predicament. That may well apply to ourselves today. We didn't sum up chapter 19. But in the previous chapter. That is chapter 19. Jehoshaphat was busy about the work of the Lord. He was being obedient to his calling as a king, as a leader of God's people. He was not indulging and pleasing himself. He was active in the things and the affairs of the Lord. And in that situation, and in this time, what it says here in our verse, and it came to pass after this, what is the this? That this is that he was living a life of obedience to God. He was active. He was serving the Lord his God as king of the people of Israel. And after this, troubles came upon him. Now this may well happen to you. This is something that can happen. You can be active in the affairs of the Lord. You can be living in some sense a Christian life. That is devoted to the Lord. What happened to Jehoshaphat here was not the result of any sin on his, on his part or on the part of the people. We are not saying for one moment that they were sinless. No, we are not saying that. But nevertheless, God was not visiting them for some particular sin. Jehoshaphat and his people were in some sense serving the Lord. Yet this terrible predicament came upon them. And that may well be your situation this morning. I don't know. And you may well wonder. Why is there such this dark cloud in front of me? Why is it I'm so troubled about this? Why has this come upon me? It's not because I'm sinning. And by that we, we obviously mean we're not saying you're perfect. But you're not living in open sin. And therefore you cannot attribute what's happening to you. Because of some sin in your life. Well I can only offer one explanation to you. It is ultimately that, that when you face this trial. And when you face this difficulty. And you will overcome if you look to the Lord. When you come out of it. You will see the loving kindness of God. That's what you'll see. I did say in the introduction that Jehoshaphat in chapter 18 entered into an alliance with Ahab. A foolish alliance, something that he should not have done, but he did. And during the battle he cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered him out of that battle. And therefore he recognized, he learned from that experience. And here he was facing another predicament. What does he do? He's going to cry out to the Lord. That's what he's going to do. And at the end of this predicament, he's going to delight in the loving kindness of his God. He's going to see the Lord deliver him. He's going to see more and appreciate and understand more 
of the great God that he serves. And therefore, we must understand that troubles can come even when we are serving the Lord in truth. You could think of the disciples. When they were on the boat, Jesus told them to go to the other side. Jesus put them in the boat. And a storm came. And you know what happened. Jesus had to come and rescue them. But there they were. Their lives were in danger. Not because of their foolish behavior. Their lives were in danger because they believed the Lord Jesus Christ. But afterwards, when they were delivered, whatever they thought of about Jesus before, they would think much more of him afterwards as they come out of this experience. And that could well be the way for you as you face this predicament. And you'll come out if you look to the Lord. And you'll know more of the loving kindness of your God. But there's another thing to notice about this predicament that may well apply to us also. The enemies are listed for us. In verse 1 we're told the enemies were Moab and Ammon. Now we're not going to get bogged down in Old Testament history here, but simply to say that they were children of Lot. And Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And therefore, these people here, the Israelites, came from Abraham. So their enemies were actually close relatives. Lot was related to Abraham. These people came from Abraham. And it goes on to tell us in our text, in the chapter, for instance, in verse 10. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. Now when you see Mount Seir, that's another name for Esau and the Edomites. Now as you know, Esau was Jacob's brother. Now the people in question here came from Jacob. Can you see what I'm driving at? The enemies were people who had, in some sense, a relationship with the people from Judah and Jerusalem. They were, in some sense, related. It goes on. In verse 2, for instance, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea. Now, beyond the sea means the Dead Sea. And these people who came beyond the sea, beyond the Dead Sea, they would have had to travel through some of Israel's territory. They would have to travel through some of the territory of the ten tribes. Now, the ten tribes were brethren. And this great army got safe passage through part of Israel, their own brethren. Let them go, so that they would be able to encounter the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Can you see the predicament? Something terrible was there. 
trouble may come from people and areas that you might not expect. The hardest place to be a Christian is in your own home. By your fireside or your dining room table. Some people will know that by experience. It's a wonderful thing, friends, if everyone in your house is converted. If your husband and wife and you're converted and your sons and daughters are converted, it's wonderful. It doesn't happen very often. But very often the Christian will have a hard time in that very place where he calls home amongst his nearest and dearest relatives. His next of kin can be in a different kingdom altogether. Now you know that. And this in some extent was happening to them. People who had a kind of relationship with them were rising up against them and they sought to destroy them. Now let's be absolutely clear here. We're not, today, we're not talking about fighting with fists or guns or bullets or bombs or anything like that. No, we're talking in a spiritual sense. But you know what I'm driving at. Sometimes the home, or we might extend it a wee bit, the workplace. You've suddenly begun to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Your fellow workmates, they don't appreciate the change. Or you might be in college Or you might be in university. They've seen a change. Why? You're going to the house of God. Why are you going there? You used to come out on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Now you no longer do. What's happened? Oh, I've taken the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've been converted. Oh, converted? We don't want anything to do with that. We don't want anything to do with that enthusiasm. We don't want that fanatic here. And they can make life very, very difficult for you. Whatever predicament we're facing, friends, we must look to the Lord. You may well be an unbeliever this morning. You might say to yourself, well, I sit on the fence. Now we'll use that term. Not that we believe in that term, but we'll use that term. How are you going to be saved? How are you going to be reconciled to God? Where will you spend eternity? Who's going to save you? What are you going to do? Who are you going to look to? You must look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only God-appointed Savior. We read in Isaiah chapter 45. Look unto me and be ye saved. Is this not what Isaiah, what Jehoshaphat, is this not what he's saying in essence? He's laying his prayer, his petition before the Lord. But our eyes are upon thee. We're looking to thee. And and believer, that's what you must do. You see the Christian life. You know something about the Christian life. 
You know it's not a walk in the park. You have been brought up in a Christian home, in a Christian environment. You've been under sound gospel preaching, not just here and now, but on other occasions. You know something about the cost of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're looking at the life of faith and you're seeing what a difference it makes. And you're saying to yourself, well, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's exactly what Jehoshaphat said. He saw this army coming. We can't handle it. We're looking to to thee. And so it must be for you, unbeliever. Take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off your background. Take your eyes off what lies ahead. Look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He's not a part-time Savior. He's not a mediocre Savior. He's a perfect Savior. And He will save. You must trust upon Him. What must I do? You must cast yourself upon Him. Surely this is what Jehoshaphat did here. With all his robes, with all his crown, with all his power, with all his authority. He recognized he couldn't handle this. And this is what you must do also. It's the same for the Christian. You know when we become Christians. When we take up the cross. In some senses life gets more difficult. It was easy in some sense to be an unbeliever. We just go with the flow. We're on that broad road that leads to destruction. And we've got many, many people who'll take us and gladly side with us and walk with us and help us on our way to a lost eternity. But things have changed. You have become a Christian. You have to stand out. And you're on that narrow road that leads to life. And it can be a lonely life. And a lonely walk. And that's why it's so important that we come to the means of grace. And that we encourage each other in good and in gospel things. Because a true hearted Christian will know times when he is lonely. And we're made for companionship and we're made for fellowship. But you too must look to the Saviour. Because you will have difficulties and you will have trials. You will have things that over will overwhelm you. Have you got an appointment with the doctor? Are you under the doctor? Who's not under the doctor these days? But nevertheless, maybe there's something and it has to be dealt with. You're not sure about it. How are you going to manage? You must... Look unto the Lord. Look unto Jesus Christ. It's the same advice therefore really. To the unbeliever and to the believer. Indeed this is what Jesus says to his, to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Friend is your heart troubled. Who does not have heart trouble? And of course we're not referring to. The physical heart, we're not talking about that. But who does not have heart trouble? What's the cure? There is a cure. We rejoice. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
And he was talking to Jews. You believe in God? Every Jew from the moment they could think, we might say, believed in God. Their whole life was dominated by the, by the scriptures and by the word of God. And of course they believed in God. They believed in a sovereign Lord. They believed in one who, who does as he pleases. The one who created the heavens and the earth. And the one who is ordering and directing all things. And who had foreordained whatsoever com comes to pass. Of course they believed in that God. Well Jesus was saying to them. As you believe in God. So you are to believe in me. And it's exactly the same. For us today friends. We are to believe. Well, the predicament. Secondly, the resolve. Verse 3 and onwards. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Oh, it's good to fear. He had a proper fear. He recognized the situation. He feared, but his fear drove him to God. And that's where our fears should drive us to. We live in a day and a time when many people might be fearful. But instead of driving them to God, they go elsewhere. I don't want to dwell on this, friends, because it's quite sad. But many people despair. And they take things into their own hands. When you fear, you're to go to God. And here was, with, was Jehoshaphat, king of Judah and Jerusalem. What's he do? He turns to prayer. He calls a fast. He gathers the people as a leader should do. When situations overwhelm him, what's he going to do? He gathers the people and they go into the house of God. And they raise their voices to God and they call out to him. What a wonderful prayer. O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Of course he's God in heaven. What's he doing? He's calling upon the God in heaven who does as he pleases. He's rejoicing in the sovereignty of God. He knows that God is able to answer his prayer and to act appropriately. He believes in the sovereignty of God and the power of God. Friend, do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe it? In an academic sense, not enough. Do you believe it in your heart? Well, when trouble comes, then you'll call upon this God. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. Here was Jehoshaphat feeding. He goes to God and he relies upon his sovereignty. Friends, the sovereignty of God tells us that he not only cares for his church, his people, but he's the ruler of all the affairs of every kingdom in the world. What's going to happen to America in 2024? Will it be Trump? Will it be Biden? Who knows? In one sense, who cares? Because God is sovereign. And he will appoint whom he will appoint. What's going to happen to Britain? I don't know. You don't know. But God knows. And these great kingdoms, they might call themselves great kingdoms. Or they might be small kingdoms, insignificant kingdoms. Maybe a, a ruler in Pakistan or maybe a ruler in uh, 
Africa. It matters not. And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? All the kingdoms of the heathen. They don't worship God. They don't worship Jehovah. They don't acknowledge him. They worship idols. They worship stones. How many gods has the Hindus got? Thousands. Maybe millions. I don't know. But God rules over India, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, the world. He rules over them all. And he rules over his people. And we rejoice in that. What a glorious God to have reigning over us. Who will not call out to him then? Well, Jehoshaphat did. And he relates this prayer. And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. Can you imagine, friends, the the king of Judah standing before his people and offering up this prayer? Can you not see the hearts of the people warming? Can you not see the Amen? Can you not hear the Alleluia? Can you not hear these people heeding their king, calling upon this great God? Can you not see in some sense that the enemy would seem very small before this God? And this is what it's got to be like for the Christian. We've got to see something more of God. This is what the church needs more than anything else today. It's a fresh glimpse and a fresh glory of our God. Behold your God, friend. Where is your God? What is your God? Turn thou away my sight and eyes from viewing vanity. Christian, why is it you have so little faith? I'll tell you why. It is because you do not meditate and you do not reflect and you do not know this God as you should, even as he has revealed himself in his word. You cannot fully know him. No, impossible. But you can know him as he is revealed in his word. And he is revealed as a sovereign Lord. Absolute sovereign. We quote it often. It's from the catechism. Who has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. He has foreordained that I should preach this this morning. He has foreordained that you should be here this morning. He has foreordained your birth. He has foreordained your death. Yet all of your actions are free. You have not been compelled to come here. Yet he has foreordained it. Can you understand it? I cannot. I rejoice that I'm I'm not required to understand these things. I am to proclaim them. One day maybe I'll understand. But God has foreordained the free actions of men. 
What a God we serve. Who will not worship him? Well, he turned to prayer. Christian, you've got a difficulty. You've got a problem. It may not be an enemy. It may be something you have to face. Turn to God in prayer. Let him hear. Let him see your your tears. Even if they are invisible. Even if they're on your heart. Let him see these things. Let him hear thy faltering voice. Unbeliever, you say you cannot pray. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon him. Call upon him. You've got a terrible problem. You're facing a lost eternity. You're facing hell. We don't like to speak about it. That's what's before you. There's nothing like this. How can you escape? Call upon the name of the Lord. You know, he was facing this great predicament, but his resolve was not, for instance, to um, prepare his army, but to pray. And not only to pray, he begins to praise. The people begin to sing. He appointed singers, for instance, verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. This was some prayer meeting they had. Praying, praising in the temple. Then when they went out to face the enemy, what does he do? He gets the people to sing. Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Prayer and praise was their weapons, if you like. Matthew Henry has a very, very interesting comment regarding this. Quote, We read of his being angry at the prayers of his people. And he quotes Psalm 84, Psalm 80, verse 4. But never at their praises. We read of his, that's the Lord, being angry at the prayer of his people. And he is sometimes. Because very often people pray with hypocrisy. And people pray with sins in their lives. And they come before a holy God and they offer up prayer. And God will not hear them. He does not answer. Why? Because they do not lift up holy arms or holy hands. Their lives are full of sin. And sometimes the prayers of the people can be offensive before God. That's what he says in Isaiah chapter 1. Away with your prayers. I don't want them. I want righteous lives. That's what he wants. But the Bible says he's never angry at their praises. There is none that should praise the Lord like the Christian. Oh friends, something should happen to you when you become a Christian. 
When you become a Christian, you should be able to pray. Oh, I'm not talking about public prayer. It's very easy in some sense to pray publicly. But oh, to pray in your closet, that's the mark of a Christian. It is like the breath that the body needs. And if you don't pray, friends, you can be assured you're not a Christian because God does not have any dumb children. They open their mouths to God in prayer. They will. And again, I'm not referring to public prayer. That's different altogether. But the Christian will pray. He will find time to pray. And the Christian will praise his God. Will you not praise someone who has saved you? Will you not praise someone who has taken you from the flames, as it were? Who has plucked you from the fire? Will you not praise someone who has taken you into his family, who has adopted you, who has not only forgiven your sins, but who has accepted your person because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you turn away from him and will you not praise him? This is what happened. And they went out. They went out to battle. Praising God as if the battle was already won. That was their resolve. And that is what actually happened. Briefly, the victory. Verse 22 and onwards. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir. This great army, what did they do? They began to fight amongst themselves. They destroyed themselves. Utter confusion. Here they were, the enemies of God's people, to gather together. But when the time to fight came, what happened? Utter confusion. They turned their swords upon each other. In other words, the problem just disappeared. It dissolved. I'm reminded, friends... About the ladies when they went to the tomb on the first day of the week. Who will roll away the stone for us? They couldn't do it. These ladies would not be able to do it. They hadn't got the physical strength. They wanted to honor the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here was this great obstacle before them. It was a stone. And they went. But when they went there, they found that the stone was rolled away. That's the way it is for all our troubles and cares and concerns. When we bring them to the Lord, He deals with them. We must look unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll have that final victory. We will be brought to glory. The world will be against us. The devil will be against us. Even our own heart will be against us. But looking unto Jesus, we will have that victory. Do you want to know that victory? Then come unto him who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. Let us pray together.